0: wow i was i was with them you know feeling the song thank you barion springs high school concert choir for ministering to us this morning thank you so much thank you beautiful i'm so glad i came to church today how about you amen amen Amen. We're gonna pray at least at least three times this morning, and uh, I just sense a, a prayer of thanksgiving is in order. Join me, please. Lord God, thank you for um, your call to be here today. And uh, Lord, the prayer. Uh, this first prayer is simple, Lord, that you would speak, and uh, Lord, help us to listen. In your name, Amen. 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 I want to be part of welcoming you this morning. Uh, Those of you on location, and uh, those uh, joining us uh, online. I'm not sure which light to look at. Maybe this one. Oh, you right there. Okay. We're glad you you join us here at uh, Pioneers. And uh, you know, can you guess? Are you able to guess? The number one question that um, I've been asked since. Uh, joining you here at uh, Pioneers, uh, an overwhelmingly most common question I've been asked. Can you guess? Well, I'll tell you. I think I heard somebody say it. Um, are you married? <laughs> <laughs> you know. And uh, so much so that I, I, you know, I even remarked it uh, to my family, and um, and my mom was super eager. She said make sure you get phone numbers and names and, and network already. And my mom is so sweet. Every year she's, she has this tradition um, of taking us and actually laying her hand on our head, and she did that for my birthday, and to pray in the prayer to add a prayer for our future husband. You know, I have sisters. And... Uh, and, it, and, you know, she's prayed, uh, Lord, sense of being someone who's going to be, uh, who's a lover, of course, protect her, be supportive of her work, and, and on and on. And, and over the years, you know, the prayer has come, become shorter. You know, Lord, send somebody. You know, I noticed that. So, it's true. <laughs> yeah. And when you pass 30, there are a lot of um, are we there yet kind of questions. Especially if you're Christian and you're not married. And by the way, I don't mind. I don't mind the inquiries about my, my marital status. You know, I, you try to get to know me, and I'm trying to get to know you. And uh, people are very well are very well meaning. You know, it, it's um it's in the follow up questions that it gets a little bit um, awkward. You know, it's you know, particularly from strangers. You know, it, it comes in the form of why not? Um, what are you waiting for and it sounds in the same tone that you would say what is wrong with you you know so so there are times when the are we there yet questions uh comes not from the voices you know in the the backseat observers of your lives but um it's an internal question too it's a lord really uh how much longer shall i wait or um could there be you know something wrong with me am i doing something horribly wrong um while being married seem very normative in the church, uh, in most churches, the numbers on the outside of it tells a different story. Now, the number looming in my mind that I saw in the statistic, uh, you know, in preparation for this morning, is, is about 49%. The numbers is probably higher now of Americans uh, are unmarried or live alone. And the prediction is that that number is going to grow. Marketers certainly realize that. It uh, used to be that you would be penalized if you went like on a cruise, you know, and you had to pay for the double room, 90 more. They're trying to cater now to a, a single market. So, um, so we have more people who are single today than ever before. Not only that, but then they will be single for um, a longer time and maybe for the rest of their lives. Now, in his book, uh, Singles at the Crossroad, Albert uh, Hsu makes a, an interesting observation, and you're going to see it on the, on the screen, actually. And he describes, in his view, uh, the attitude, particularly of the evangelicals when it comes to um, the Christian culture in regards to the, this growing number of single in our midst. And this is what, what he says, and you see it now. You'll see it. It says here that the Christian church has an obsessive love affair with the nuclear family that leaves the Christian singles in isolation. That's a rather provocative statement. And I'll ask another question. What could the Christian church have to say to a generation that is increasingly living the single life? And could singleness have something to teach us about God's picture of family? Now, this morning, um, I'd like to invite us to come on a road trip this summer. And and obviously not a literal road trip, but a spiritual journey. And uh, us pastors, we're going on a spiritual journey by using our own story and basing um, our journey on the the Word of God, on the Bible, and what the Bible has to say on what it means to reflect uh, God's picture of family. So this morning, I'm going to share with you from the perspective of being um, an adult single, um, barreling towards middle age. <laughs> However, there are two things I want you to keep that I want us to keep in mind. There are two things. Um, the single adult experience is very diverse, right? Some of us uh, are dating, some of us are not, uh, some of us are widowed, divorced, uh, some have children, some do not. So, so so this, this word, single, is not monolithic, and there's no way I can speak uh, on behalf of all uh, single. So I don't want to be a poster child for tragedy or triumph for single people. That's not my purpose. But for the sake of our time together, um, when I use the word single, I'm talking about those who are unmarried and particularly um, those who are uh, past the college years. Uh, usually the, these are the ones that you, know, you have the expectation that they'll be getting married and get that, are we there yet, kind of questions. And this is, I said it was two things I want us to keep in mind uh, this morning. You know, I, it may seem a little suspect um, to be talking about the value of being single in a climate, in, in, in how, how, I'm trying to see how I'm going to say this, in a climate in which um, we have seen the, the, the disintegration of marriages. You know, it may feel counterintuitive to talk about the value of singleness in a context in which family life values are being redefined and, and do not look like families in terms of biblical perspective. Um, but I want you to consider this, however, though, that the number of nuns are at its highest. And when I say nuns, I mean N-O-N-E-S, all right? These are the people who, when they're asked about their religious affiliation, they check none in the box. And those people who check none in terms of their religious affiliation also, for the vast majority, also check single. Now, according to a very well-respected Barna, I think you've heard uh, you know, their research um, uh, mention, a quoted here uh, from the front. Now, they say that one-third of Christian adults do not attend church. so. Ostensibly, when we talk about single adults, particularly in in America, we're talking about the most unreached population for Christ in this generation. If we want to minister uh, to this generation, to this most unreached people group, we must present God's kingdom worldview. And I want us to take a look this morning on how the presence of single adults can bear witness to God's picture um, of family. And I want to submit to you this morning that Christ-centered singleness bears witness to God's picture of family by teaching us two main things. That first, um, our relationship with Jesus comes first. And that when we do God's will, it's because we trust that God has a future for us that we cannot possibly imagine. So we can learn from the presence of singleness in in, uh, in our community of faith. So our starting point on this road, this uh, this this road trip, you know, this um, this summer, this sermon series, um, is Matthew 12:46 and 50. Matthew 26, 46 and 50. And uh, I can give you some time to find it, but it's also going to be on the screen in a a few moments. But I'm going to read it to you just as, as as a review, since I'm sure many of you have already read this passage. Matthew 12, 46 to 50, it says this. As Jesus was speaking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. Someone told Jesus, your mother and brothers are standing outside and they want to speak to you. Jesus asked, In verse 48, he asked, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Then he pointed to his disciples and said, look, these are my mother and brothers. Verse 50, anyone who does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Now, freeze frame, you know, verse 50. This is the picture Jesus' relatives are outside, and they may look perplexed, and what brought them at the door anyway was a concern about what was happening uh, in the life of Jesus. So they're standing outside, and then on the inside, Jesus is surrounded, and this is like one of of the two narratives of this story, you know, in the gospel. Luke, I, I think it's Luke who says that, It was packed. It was a packed house, and they were encircling Jesus. So Jesus is pointing to these, essentially to these strangers who encircle him, and and he's saying they're his family. Now, if you believe the expression that blood is thicker than water, this picture is not right. And and if you live in, in, in that society, in this context, it's not only not right, but it's also very scandalous, and for two main reasons. Now, Joseph is not mentioned there, so most likely he's passed away, you know. That's common knowledge that he, he wasn't around at this time. So traditionally, the eldest's responsibility was for the care of his family. I mean, he would respond immediately if there was a need and if his family beckoned him. So it's very scandalous that Jesus doesn't go to his family he, he is defying uh, tradition here or convention. And the other thing, the second thing why this is l- scandalous, by his very presence, by his very existent, uh, existence, Jesus is flipping the script on us. You know, this, this man of, what, barely 30 or something, Most in most occasions, he would have been married in his teens, probably an arranged marriage. And if you've read any of the Old Testament, it becomes clear very quickly um, that it is a dishonor and a shame not to have um, children, not to be married, not to leave a a legacy or a heritage behind. Uh, It had um, economic consequences and social consequences. So so Jesus as an unmarried person uh, and by his very presence is defining for the people who are observing and also for us today What is God's picture a family and is not what we expect? I want us to look at what um, Ellen White, how she comments on this God's kingdom worldview um, in uh, the desires of ages. It's amazing, actually. It's an amazing, profound quote. She says this, as a believer, and she's speaking of of, uh, Jesus' mother so far. You guys are with me still? He's speaking about his mother, and he says, as a believer and doer of his word, his mother was more nearly nearly, and savingly related to him than through her natural relationship. I mean, do you get what she's saying? That, um, that she, was, she, she was related to her son. The fact that she was related to her son wasn't because she had given birth to him, but it was because she was his disciple. Of his brother, this is what Ellen White comments in Desires of Ages*. She says... His brothers would receive no benefit from their connection with him unless they accepted him as their personal savior. Our loyalty to Jesus trumps our loyalty to our closest human connection. Listen to what this anthropologist Ernest Becker says about this. He says that no human relationship can bear the burden of Godhood. However much we may idealize and idolize the love partner, we inevitably reflect earthly decay and imperfection. That love partner inevitably reflects earthly decay and imperfection. We want to get rid of our faults. We, we um, the feeling of our nothing, nothingness. We want to be loved, essentially. And he comments, he finishes by saying, needless to say, human partners cannot give this. We cannot find everything we need in a relationship, in in, in another human being. They cannot be God for us. However, in the Bible, you know, it doesn't give us license to to shirk our responsibilities, you know, to let go of our responsibilities Um, to our families, right, to our wives and husbands and and, uh, and, and walk away for the sake of, you know, of serving the Lord. And the reason why we know this, you know, Jesus, again, is our example in teaching us the meaning, the, the, the picture of God's family and, and its, its power. Now, you remember as Jesus was dying on the cross, you remember that scene? He made sure that his mother was taken care of after he would be gone. Now, I, re- I looked up my notes again just to make sure And normally, that responsibility would be passed on to the next brother, the natural brother. But Jesus doesn't do that. He selects John, who's not related to him, by blood. And in John 19, uh, 26, he establishes, he says, here is your mother, here is your son. He establishes this relationship based not on the fact that they're not related, but based on their mutual connection to himself. The presence of singleness in the Bible reminds us that being married is not the highest value in the kingdom of God. Our relationship with Jesus comes first before any other relationship, and our relationship with Jesus transforms and deepens any other relationship in a kingdom perspective kind of way, it changes our relationship to higher planes. You know, I've been, uh, you know, getting acquainted with my uh, environment. You know, I've been meeting different people, and uh, I've been meeting a lot of, uh, of, um, uh, you know, a lot of young professionals as well. Many of them not married, and uh, you know, my natural question often is, oh, so do you go to, you know, you go to pioneers and. And um, three of them at least said, no, they, they don't go to church. They don't attend church. And this uh, divorced young woman in particular um, says she does not go to church and she rather watch church uh, via the website. And it's a good thing. I mean, we love it when, you know, people join us via the, the website and, and do web church. Um, but the reason why she didn't come is because she was tired of feeling alone in a, cr- in a crowd. No, she didn't feel like she fit in and that people would actually miss her and she, if she didn't come. So she watches church online. And, you know, when, when single people are missing in our midst, or any person really, but we're talking about the most unreached population right now, but when they're missing in our midst, it should not be okay with us. Jesus left 100 to go get a single one. So when we embrace, you know, single people in our conversation, um, in our prayers, when we do that, we're not trying to be pol- politically correct or, or just be polite. What we're doing is resembling the family that God wants us to be. You know, Jesus says to everyone in verse 50, um, doing the will of the Father. That's who's my brother, sister, and mother, doing the will of God, of the Father. What is God's will? You know, I I thought about that, and there are many examples in the Bible, and the example I I thought of was uh, the one that came to mind was uh, the one in Acts, you know, the book of Acts 36, and there it is right here, right? Uh, Acts 36, and this is uh, about Tabitha, or Dorcas, and it says that she was always doing good in helping the poor. Um, Bible students have said that Tabitha Dorcas, most likely she was single. You know, maybe she was a a widow. And, you know, Tim Keller, who I'll mention again um, later, you know, he reminds us through through quoting another uh, sociologist um, that the Christian church was the first institution to present singleness as a... um, as a, uh, a, a viable option for adults. Because whether it be the secular um, government or religious one, to have a single in your group was a mark of shame on the whole group. Even in the, for the Jewish nation in particular, but Jesus comes along and changes that and, and, and Tabitha, she's called a disciple. And Tabitha um, represents these people, single people weren't sectioned off somewhere in the first century church. They played a part in growing God's kingdom. Uh, you know, when I, um, when I left to, to start my, my, the first ministry that I was invited to join, it was in Alberta, Canada. And it felt like such an adventure. I mean, from the east to the west, all the way to the west, but I was also leaving a lot of familiar uh, spaces and places in my family. And in Alberta, Canada, there was this lady named Evange- Evangeline. And uh, Evangeline was single. I don't think her child lived in her home at that time. But she had blessed her home to be a place where she would receive people. And she adopted me. I mean, she would adopt everybody. I mean. We would gather, and it would be couples, it would be single, other single people, it would, be, it would be students, and she just made us feel like family. And eventually uh, introduced me to her, the food from her country. So whenever I see basmati rice, naan bread, la- mango lassi, I think of love. To me, that's what love tastes like. It tastes like Indian food. <laughs> yeah. And um, now, I, I, I can't cook Indian food, but. But eventually left a legacy in my heart. That's when I left for my next um, place of ministry. You know, I wanted that too. I wanted my home to be a place where people could come and, and experience family. You know, I saw Dr. Ledesma just now. And you know, when I went to her home, she's sure like that, many of your homes. Hopefully I'll have a chance to make all the rounds. But, you know, and it was like that too. People were comfortable from all walks of life. And, and you had this feeling, you know, Rick and Janet made, made it feel like family. And we have people within our own church who do this, single people who are very involved, who open their home um, for, to adopt children and, and, and work through foster care. And, you know, you, you single people in this church um, invest their resources and talent to give back to something bigger than themselves. And it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. Doing God's will will always be about love. You know, Jesus promises in John 13:35 um, that loving one another would let people know that we are God's family. So God's will has always been about, about, about love. Now many times in the Bible, um, marriage uh, illustrates divine love. And that's as much as I'm, I'm going to say about marriage right now because we're talking about singleness. But in this series, um, you're going to be hearing from, you know, Pastor Ben Martin and Pastor Raleigh Ortiz about, marriage and the different aspect of marriage and how it fits in in, in reflecting God's uh, picture of family. So we know, most of us, that marriage has often been used to represent divine love. But I want you to listen now to this, this, um, uh, this rich quote by Stanley Grants. And he talks about the non-exclusive um, uh, embracing uh, nature of God's love in the context of singleness. I mean, check this out. He says, the family formed by the love of a single person is not the product of the intimate sexual acts shared by two people. This family arises spontaneously out of the dynamic of love that is open exclusively, beyond exclusive boundaries, as such the less formal bonding. That's a lot of words. But the last part says this, uh, it reflects the openness of divine love to the continual expansion of the circle of love to include within the circle those yet outside of its boundary. In English, it means that, you know, singles have a unique opportunity for friendship to build God's kingdom. And they are another face of God's love. God's love is so huge um, that single are able to represent a facet that otherwise we would miss. And when I say single, I'm talking about Christ-centered singleness. So when Jesus asked, who is my family, he pointed to his disciples. God's picture of family is a community of disciples who are defined by what makes a disciple, defined by making the relationship with Jesus the number one priority, and doing God's will for the sake of kingdom growth. Now, I'm going to add that Christ-centered singleness teaches about doing God's will um, and living God's will, and we're able to do that because we trust that God has something greater in store for us. We do God's will in trust. Sometimes we don't know what God's will is, how are we going to demonstrate that love to those around us? Um, but we obey God. This life of obedience can only work if we believe that God has something really good in store for us and that he wants our good. And um, in my reflection, I began to wonder, wonder what does it look like to live the single life with the um, are we there yet questions because there is an unexpected expectation on the trajectory of adulthood. You know, I know there's a, what is that? Is it a, a, a rhyme or something? First comes love, then comes marriage, and then comes something that rhymes with marriage. The, the courage, there we go. So, so there's, there's sort of a script of how things are supposed to be. But what if, what if you don't follow that script, you know? What then? And, and there's nothing wrong with that script in, in order, um, you know, preferably. There's nothing wrong with that script. But so what happens, you know, and I think a lot of people in my, in, who are single as well, it, it feels like um, uncharted territory. Um, you know, I didn't set out to be a, a, a single adult for, for very long. Um, you know, I, as much as I love... My dogs, sometimes it would be nice to come in the house and see a human being, a human male, <laughs> you know? Um, why not? <laughs> um, so I had assumed that I would be, I would be married, you know, um, sooner than I am now. And um, so I even found a journal with all my, my goals written out and marriage, marriage definitely featured uh, on that list. And, you know, but yet I can't tell you I'm unable to tell you that um, I regret the way it's turned out so far. I don't regret the way it's turned out. I did not expect that it would be good. And that's another sermon, actually, really. All this to say that, you know, just because you're single, I'm learning, doesn't mean that you're outside of God's favor. Just because you're single, because you're single, it doesn't mean that you're outside of God's, of God's favor. Um, there are, there are, there's actually one main thought that, that I'm going to start to leave you with, um, and it is this. I mentioned Tim Keller. And, you know, he ministers to um, a group of, of, uh, of uh, young, not that young, but, but adults, and a lot of them are actually single, so he speaks to that, that population in, uh, in New York. And uh, he has... Uh, has some, uh, some eloquent and very thoughtful commentary uh, about uh, that, that uh, demographic. And I want to paraphrase a little bit uh, in terms of what he says. You know, when he comments about Jesus, you know, um, more than ever, Jesus, the, the, the one we profess, you know, who is, who is single, it's like more than ever he can speak to this generation. And more than ever, people need the Lord and Jesus the perfect being um, you know Keller comments didn't feel the need to be married in order to show that perfection he gives a reason for for that you know he surmises that the reason why Jesus didn't get married is because he lives as he says it in the light of the future prepared by God he lives in the light in the fulfillment of the promise of, of God's family realized at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Revelation 19 says, you know, blessed are they who are guests at the marriage supper of the Lamb. So Jesus didn't need to be, to be married because his fulfillment was found in something far greater than the present moment. And singleness teaches us, you know, that um, our relationship with Jesus is first, Singleness bears witness to God's people. christ his singleness bears witness um, that we can do God's will and trust that the future that God has for us is better than we can imagine. And there's hope. There's hope in that. So my third favorite um, Bible verse in conclusion is uh, Zephaniah 3:17, uh, and um, it says, "The Lord is with you." You know, if you're feeling alone today, the Lord is w- with you. He says he's a mighty warrior who's going to save you, and he delights in you. He likes your company. He says that his love will no longer rebuke you. Other people may rebuke you, but he says his love won't rebuke you. He will rejoice over you with singing. God seems happy, and God is happy just like a friend or a sister who sees ahead while your eyes are in the dark. And they see ahead and they see the surprise that they've prepared for you. And they're so excited because when you open your eyes and see, you will see something far greater than you even ever, ever imagined. Now, God is a joyful God because he knows that what he has for us is so good. So I'll leave you with this last thought, which I've repeated many times. This Christ-centered, Christ-centered singleness in our community of faith bears witness to God's picture of a family now and in the future by teaching us a relationship with Jesus comes first, and we can do God's will in light of the future um, that is far better than we can imagine. Now, if you are uh, here today and you know you're feeling alone, and you you know, you don't have to be single to be to feel alone. You know, being single doesn't automatically mean that you feel alone, but um, if you happen to feel alone uh, this morning, this is this morning. This is the message I, I, I'm leaving you with: um, is you are not a mistake, you know, and that uh, you are enough, and that you're embraced by God, and that you are part of building, building this 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 God family, um, and creating uh, more room, you know, for people to grow in faith. Um, And to tell them that um, there is a mission to do. And to tell them that there's a love to know. And that that love um, is Jesus. Let's pray. God, thank you, Lord. As you look upon your people, Lord, you sing over them. I don't know what your sound, the words of the songs are, Lord God. Um, But it's a preview of that wonderful celebration, that wonderful wedding celebration where we will be brothers and sisters, never to be separated. So Lord, my my prayer is very simple, Lord, is that you would um, lead us to trust you more and lead us to live a life worthy of the calling. In your name, amen. Amen. You know, I'm... before you close, you know, you have your um, Connect cards in your bulletin. They look like this. And um, the deacons are going to make their, their, uh, their rounds soon. But I'm just going to invite you to fill the card, actually, in the back of the Connect card. Of course, your name, you know, if you want us to contact you. But what your next step might be. You know, if you want your relationship with Jesus to be a priority and you want that to affect any, every other relationship. Um, you check that. If you want uh, strength to trust and obey God's will, God has revealed some things to you and you need strength to do, to do his will and, and, and obey the plans for, for your life, check that. Um, if you want to build a family, you know, and uh, you've heard of girl groups and you want to know more about girl groups, check that, you know, we'll make sure to, to, to contact you. And uh, as you meditate on the, on the cards, um, where are our deacons? I'm going to ask them to stand, actually. And uh, let's pray a prayer, blessing over our offering. Lord God, um, you know, we give you uh, ourselves, you know, through these cards, and we also give you, Lord, what we can. And um, we pray that uh, these tithes and offering go for the purpose that you have attended them to, Lord. May you just um, uh, make the blessing overflow for this church. And Lord, thank you for the opportunity to give. And thank you, Lord, for that you give so much more. In your name, amen.